Today's scripture reading comes from Genesis 32, and it is on page 25 in the Pew Bible. That night, Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his eleven sons, and crossed the ford of the Jebel. After he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all of his possessions. So Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him till daybreak. And the man saw that he could not overpower him. He touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, Let me go, for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The man asked him, What is your name? Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, Your name name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. Jacob said, Please tell me your name. But he replied, Why do you ask my name? But he blessed him there. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, It is because I saw God face to face and yet my life was spared. The sun rose above him as he passed Peniel, and he was limping because of his hip. Good morning. How's everybody today? Quiet today, huh? Um, I brought something today, like I always do. Any ideas? Milk? Hmm? White paint? Milk? Blue? Hmm? Baby formula. At first I thought she said baby vomit, and I'm thinking, I don't know. Well, it is none of those things. It's a liquid or a solid. What do you think? (laughs) Baking soda? No, not baking soda. Huh? So it's a liquid, right? It's a liquid. Kind of sticky. And you're right, it is oobleck, which is a non-Newtonian fluid. Non-Newtonian fluid. Mm -hmm. What does that mean? Good question. Well, you see, it's clearly a liquid, right? That's probably enough. However, try not to make a mess. If I take my spoon and I hit it really hard, it doesn't go down. It's a solid. But if I take my spoon and I put it in gently, it goes right in. That's non-Newtonian fluid. So if I punch it, I get a little splash, but not much. But if I put my hand in, it just goes right in. I know, kind of gross, huh? 
So I can grab it and make a chunk out of it. Huh? Yeah. Well, you see, the thing is, our story today is about somebody who tried to punch things. Right? Jacob was wrestling with God. He was angry. He was afraid. He was worried. He was <sighs> fighting with himself and fighting with God. So he was punching that stuff. I think the rest of the good stuff is in here still, so let me get it out. Um, and all night long, he was going at it. He had asked God to deliver him. And God did. During the whole night, they wrestled and wrestled and wrestled. And finally, as daybreak came, the person or angel or God that was wrestling with Jacob said, okay, release me. It's daybreak. I got to go. Kind of like, um, yeah, here we go. See how solid this is? See how solid that is? But it's really liquidy at the same time. And Jacob's heart was kind of hard. But when God touched him and changed him, whoops, oh, that was good. Yeah, we broke the bottle. <laughs> yeah, good job. Good thing I had something else to put it in. Did you see how quickly that sunk? That piece of glass just sunk right in there because it was gentle. But if I take it and stab at it, it doesn't go, even though it's sharp and pointy. So when we are wrestling with God, wrestling with our sin, wrestling with our worries, with our fears, it's like punching something that won't give. But if we give it to God, he just melts it away. He takes control over it. And he will work it the way it needs to be worked. No matter what the problem is, no matter whether we're angry, whether we're worried, whether we're frightened, if we give it to God and put him in control, it's all good. And Jacob learned that. Unfortunately, he limped for the rest of his life as a result of it. But it reminded him of what God did for him. When we learn to let things go and give them to God, our life doesn't change 100%. We still make mistakes. We still sin. We still fight against God sometimes. God, don't send me there. Don't make me do that. And it's hard for us when we do that. But when we let God work with us, we say, okay, God, I'm here. Use me. It's so much better. He softens our hearts. He gives us what we need. And it's just like we just flow into where we need to be. Kind of like Ubla. We can choose to be hard-hearted, or we can give it to God and let him use us. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you that you are an amazing God, a God who fights for us, even when we fight against you. So give us your strength and your peace, but most of all, help us to let you be in charge. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you that when the storms of life um, get overwhelming for us, they do not overwhelm you. I pray that you will 
help me to think and speak clearly, and that you will help us to hear the word that you have for us today, that it will sink deep into our hearts and make us more like you and help us to trust you. In Jesus' name, amen. If it's on there, I would like to introduce you to one of my favorite internet memes. Oh no, we can't see this. Okay, there we go. So this is a classic image of Jacob wrestling with an angel. I forgot to look up. This is how the internet rots your brain. I didn't think about looking up who actually created that original painting um, or piece of art. Just the meme itself. And, the, and it says, And the angel said unto him, Stop hitting yourself, stop hitting yourself. But lo, he could not, for the angel was hitting him with his own hands. <laughs> I don't know if you've ever played this game with your kids. Stop hitting yourself, and that's kind of what it looks like. And I think this is funny, and I also think that it just shows that this story in the Old Testament is pretty famous. Um, the fact that this is a meme that's been around the internet for a while. I've seen it. It's been there for years, and there are at least some people who know what the story is referring to, and what story it's referring to, and why it's funny. But there are also other things in our culture that allude to this story. Um, not just this meme, but also there's a, a lyric in the U2 song, Bullet the Blue Sky, where it talks about angel wrestle, Jacob wrestled the angel and the angel was overcome. Um, we see it in art. You can take that down now, Rand. <laughs> Thanks. Um, there are lots of different artist renditions of this story. There are also people that have written novels about it. Um, and part of why, I think, is because this is kind of the story where Jacob is assigned his incredibly significant part of fulfilling God's promise, the promise that God had made originally to Abraham. He is given a new name which becomes the name of the people that God has chosen to bless the world. And we'll get to that in a minute. But I want to know, have you sitting here heard this story before? How many people are familiar with this story? Okay. What is happening? <laughs> Why is he wrestling an angel? We'll get to whether it's really an angel, but what's going on? Okay, that's a good that's a good summation. So you're saying God was trying to help Jacob kind of solidify what he really believed about God. Ish. Okay, whether God was real or whether this was all in his head. Yeah, that's good. Any other takes on this story? Okay, great. So, wait, say that last part again? 
So he picked a fight. Ooh. Okay. So David said, um, Jacob was afraid. He's heading home, and he is afraid what, of what he's facing, and he's not really sure if God's going to be there for him, so he picks a fight. Okay. I kind of like that. Um, sometimes our lives are full of struggles. When you peel back all the layers of the things that you've been struggling with, whether they're things that you brought on yourself or things other people have done to you, and usually, let's be honest, it's a combination of both, you find yourself face-to-face with God. For some people, um, this is, in, in addiction and recovery circles, this is called rock bottom, hitting rock bottom. It doesn't always feel like rock bottom. Jacob doesn't really seem to be at rock bottom here. Things aren't terrible. I'm going to give you a little background on what's happened right before this scene that we're talking about. But he is in a period of time where he cannot avoid facing his past. He can't, and that's because he can't stay where he is. When was the last time Jacob couldn't stay where he was? After he tricked his brother. Exactly. This time, it's a little different. The fir- when he tricked his brother, he had to leave because he was running for his life. He was single. He, wasn't really, he hadn't had an encounter with God yet, and then he got an encounter with God, and now he's married and he has kids and he's got a whole lot of property, movable property, although not easily movable, I would think. <laughs> Lots of sheep and, sheep and goats and servants. Um, he has, and this is the difference, because he has met God, he is in some way going with God. He has an idea that there is a God and that God is somehow connected to his life. He already promised God, if you take care of me and watch over me and bring me back to the land, then you'll be my God. Well, now he's heading back to the land. He has left his toxic father-in-law with his entire family, his 12 sons, his daughter, but he's going back to the place that he left in the first place. And none of that stuff has been resolved. We know that we can't resolve conflict very well via text or email, but Jacob didn't even have that. (laughs) So he has had zero contact with his brother, who he tricked, um, for 20 to 30 years. I didn't look up what the time frame is, but it's a long time. So he has no idea. He's changed, but he has no idea. If Esau has changed, is Esau still mad? Don't know. He's afraid. Also, he's traveling with his two wives, his two concubines, all of his kids, all of this stuff, which is all a visible sign that God actually did bless him, right? And he tricked his brother Esau out of the blessing. So if he comes to Esau, With all of this blessing, and Esau hasn't done well for himself, which he doesn't know that either, um, that could stir up some conflict too. He's afraid. So here's what he does, and we didn't read this whole part. Tom starts in the, which he was supposed to, in the verse where 
Jacob has sent the last remainder of his family across this river, and he's still on the far side of the river all by himself. But how he got to be all by himself is they had to cross the river to get to the land that's near where Esau was, that Jacob was going to resettle, and he decides, I'm going to appease, in case my brother's still mad, I'm going to appease him by sending over some of my property as a gift. So he sends over some of the sheep and goats and some of his servants, and they're supposed to go to Esau and say, here, this is a gift for you, um, to kind of butter him up so that he won't maybe be so angry and ticked off when he actually meets Jacob. And he keeps the, the wives and the children back. But then, <laughs> this is a little bit, I don't know. Then he decides to send over his two concubines and their kids. And then he sends his two wives and their kids. But he is not quite brave enough to cross the river himself. So, he's all by himself, and then the Bible says a man came and started wrestling with him. Interestingly, the man started, the man picks the fight, whoever this man is. Who is this man? Okay. There are, why do you say that? <laughs> Good. <laughs> that wasn't Mike, so I will say, Ron said, it's probably Jesus, and I said, why? And he said, that's the rumor he's heard. So, there are some theories about this. The Bible, in this part, says a man came and wrestled him with him, and a lot of people interpret it as an angel came and wrestled with him, and we saw that in the picture, it was an angel, or our European Renaissance idea of what an angel looks like. And so those are two options, and then the third option is it is somehow God. I actually uh, I went online and looked this up to see what other theories there were about who Jacob is wrestling here. Um, and I also, years ago, asked one of my Jewish rabbi contacts about this story. Um, and there is an idea out there, at least in the Jewish community, that this is some representation of Esau. Like es They call it Esau's angel, and they say Esau somehow in spirit or something came and wrestled with Jacob, because he was he was all obsessed with this fear of going to meet his brother, and so they were wrestling. But I'm not sure even the rabbi thought that that was a good option. I think he was just telling me that that's what some people think. Um, other people say, more generally, it's an angel from God. Um, and I think there are two ways that make it feel better to us if it's an angel from God. The one reason is because the the man, or whoever it was, couldn't win. That's the way it's described in the text. And that seems weird, and if it was God, well, of course God could win, so how come he couldn't win? And also there's a verse in, in Hosea, which is also in the Bible, um, Hosea 12:4, where Hosea talks about Jacob wrestling the angel and winning. Jacob won. 
Also, this is a chapter that is full of angels. I did not really notice this before, um, so I can't say a whole lot intelligent about it, <laughs> because I really never did notice this before. But in the beginning of this chapter, in Genesis 32.1, it says, Jacob also went on his way, and the angels of God met him. So this is before he has sent over his property and his wives and all the kids and everything. Um, some angels meet him, and it doesn't really say anything else about that interaction, except that he names the place where he meets the angels. He names it Mahanaim, which means two camps. Um, somehow, Jacob is kind of like, so, that, so my camp is here, but there's also a camp of angels here, apparently, and I just saw some. And we do get the idea that the fact that J J Jacob met these angels encouraged him to keep moving forward after leaving Laban, his father-in-law, behind. To keep moving forward and get ready to meet Esau. And so then, um, in, verse, in chapter 32, verse 3, it says, Jacob sent messengers ahead of him to his brother Esau in the land of Seir, the country of Edom. So here's something to know. The word angel actually means messenger. So when we talk about angels from God, they are messengers from God. That's their main job. They are coming to bring a message, something that God wants us to know. But in a sense, Jacob is also sending angels, messengers, to his brother Esau. And then, when the messengers get there, in verse 6, it says, they returned to Jacob, and they said, we went to your brother Esau, and now he is coming to meet you. And 400 men are with him. <laughs> so, maybe Jacob has an, a reason to be a little bit nervous. Here comes his brother, who he hasn't seen in forever, who the last time he saw him wanted to kill him, and he's got 4,000 men with him. Doesn't sound good. But the messengers, messages aren't always clear, right? Any, in any context, a message is not always clear. It doesn't always come through the right way. God sent messengers to Jacob to encourage him. Jacob sent messengers to Esau. Esau is now, in some way or other, sending a message to Jacob. So is this being that Jacob is wrestling with a messenger, or is it the one who desires to communicate to Jacob directly? It's pretty direct to get in a wrestling match with somebody. Okay, so what if this being is God? I think that it is. And I think you're right, Ron. Um, there are a lot of Christian, theologian, Bible scholar type people who believe that in many cases in the Old Testament when it describes um, the angel of the Lord, not just an angel, but the angel of the Lord, including some of the passages where Abraham has an interaction with some physical-looking being, um, that that is actually what is, here's a theological term for you, the pre-incarnate Christ. 
So incarnate means embodied. When we say that Jesus is God incarnate, that means Jesus is God in a body. And so this is Jesus, God, in a body, but before he was actually born, which doesn't make any sense to us, but it's God. So, you know. (laughs) So there is this idea among Christians, obviously Jewish people don't have the same idea, but among Christians, that Jacob is wrestling with God in the person of Jesus. I'm not going to declare that from here because I feel like I want to look that up. (laughs) Um, But the name change is significant. Yeah, I don't think it... To that point, I don't think an angel is going to say, God is now renaming you in this significant of a rename. So, when we were talking about Abraham two weeks or months ago, we were talking a little bit about stages of faith, and we saw how Abraham's stages went. Abraham was the first person to whom God gave this covenant promise. And so, he, kind of, he had the invitation that, from God that he said yes to, and then after he said yes to the invitation, he kind of did some things his own way, and then he tried to, and then he kind of reset himself and tried to do some things for God, but messed up a little bit because he was still kind of trying to do it in his own way. And then he was asked by God to sacrifice Isaac, and in that moment he had to decide whether he was going to choose God himself or the promise from God. He ended up getting to keep both. But the choice was, am I, am I content with just the good things from God or do I want God for himself? And he chose correctly. And after that point, we don't see a whole lot more about what Abraham does, but you get the idea that he started doing things with God, not for God, not kind of with God in the background and please bless me, but like with, actually with God. Jacob also goes through stages of faith that we can see, but his are a little different because he is the grandson of Abraham, and so he's already kind of grown up in it. Some of us also grew up in the faith, and so he had this background knowledge of God. He knew that he was, in some way, he knew that he was the, the next one to carry on the promise, but he did things his own way. He tricked his brother. He tricked his dad. And then his invitation kind of came in the middle where he, when he was fleeing his brother for his life and he had that dream and God spoke to him. And so since then, he goes, you know, he goes to his father-in-law, who, the man who becomes his father-in-law, Laban, also his uncle. Um, he gets married. He has a number of wives and a number of kids, and he gets all this property. And it's sort of like, at this point, he has an awareness of God, and he knows that he belongs to God, and he knows that that God is his God, but he's still trying to do things for himself with God. And it's not bad. He's succeeding. God is blessing him. God is doing things with him. But he still hasn't 
reached the all-or-nothing point that Abraham and presumably Isaac, at the same time as Abraham probably, faced, where you have to decide, am I going to hang on to this good thing from God, or am I going to hang on to God? Everybody who says yes to the invitation of God in some way or other at some point in their lives will have to confront, and it's usually not at the same time that you say yes to the invitation. Maybe it never is. At some point, we have to confront our own sense of who we are and who we want to be. This, is, this has been true since the beginning of humankind. Adam and Eve also had to face that. Did they want to be like God without God, as the serpent tempted them? Or do they want to continue to live in the image of God? Well, they chose to try to be like God without God. Abraham had to face this. Do I want to be the father of the promise by hanging on to the promise or by hanging on to God? Isaac would have had to face this when he was, thought he was going to get sacrificed on an altar. Am I? He didn't really have much choice, but I guarantee he was still confronting some truths about himself and his identity. What do you imagine was holding Jacob back from God? Okay, guilt is probably one... There might have been a few other things, though. Any other ideas? Okay. Trust? Uh, <laughs> fear? Yeah, or the lack thereof. Yeah, trust or the lack thereof, guilt, fear. I also wonder if his abilities, because he may have been a liar in his earlier life, and he didn't continue to be a liar, but he was pretty shrewd his entire life. He was able to figure out how to not cheat his father-in-law out of property, but how to make the most of what the situation was so that he could benefit. He was not a dumb person. He knew how to, he, he knew how to make things work in his favor. He had that ability his whole life, and you could say that was, whether or not he used it appropriately, it was a God-given ability. Sometimes we let our past sins hold us back from fully engaging with God, but sometimes we let our past successes do it. Jacob has had God up close to him before. When we, we saw this, when he was having the dream about the ladder, the angels were going up and down between heaven and earth, but God was right there next to him. It said it in the Bible. And at that time, God promised to be Jacob's God to take care of him and bring him back to the land that God had promised. And, when, and in that interaction, God introduced himself to Jacob as the God of Jacob's fathers, Abraham and Isaac. Now, God has kept his end of the deal. He provided for him, he gave him a family, he gave him property, and now he's bringing him back to the land, but Jacob is afraid to go all the way. So, 
now God doesn't need to introduce Jacob to God. He needs to introduce Jacob to Jacob. God wants to give Jacob himself. And I say that with a double meaning. God wants to give Jacob God himself. But God also, in doing that, wants to give Jacob Jacob. God is saying to Jacob and to us, trust me to tell you who you are. In a way, Jacob was a self-made man. But when it came down to it, when it comes down to life or death, he's not actually sure that's enough. And it isn't. The man initiates this wrestling match. The man, probably Jesus, initiates the wrestling match. But Jacob keeps it going. Jacob won't let the man go. He just keeps wrestling. And this is what kind of what Barb was showing us. Even... I hate that the jar broke, but it was kind of appropriate that the jar broke. Um, Wrestling and wrestling and wrestling and wrestling and not making any headway because he doesn't want to let God go, but he also doesn't really want to let himself go. And so finally, the man wounds him. In a world under the shadow of sin, none of us escape without wounds. Nobody, Christian, non-Christian, whatever, nobody escapes without wounds. It'd be nice, but we just don't. And we don't actually get to interact with God without wounds. Let's think about this. We've said this before. We are made in God's image, but God is God. He's a whole other being than us, He designed this world to operate entirely differently than the way it operates under sinful human rule. God wants to bring humans back under his rule into relationship with him so that we are operating in a different way than the world operates. And it is really hard for us to do that. Even when we've said yes to God, it requires long hard wrestling to live, as Jesus said, in the world, but not of it. Making that transition is always going to wound us. This is partly why I like science fiction. I was talking to Sandy earlier this week before she got sick (laughs) Um, about science fiction and how it is actually a really useful tools for analogies when you're talking about the spiritual life. So it's kind of like there are two parallel universes, but they're actually overlaid on top of each other. And when we say yes to God, we're kind of living in both at the same time, but they have somewhat different rules. And it is really hard to live with the God universe's set of rules in the world universe. And, it, and we get hurt. It's not because we're being punished. It's just because 
we're trying to do something from another world in this world. And this world is broken. When we accept God's invitation into his life, instead of our own identity, our own life, we are transitioning from one plane of reality to another. So sometimes we have to say goodbye to the messengers. Some of the messengers are from God. Some of them are good things. Some of them are our relationships, and some of them are our, um, our jobs, and some of them are our abilities, and some of them are not good, like addictions. Yeah, addictions cover everything. Sometimes goodbye means really goodbye. And sometimes it means turning it over to God and letting him redefine it like happened with Abraham and Isaac. But when we do that, when we transition, when we say yes to God and we transition into the new life, we get more than we ever gave up. We get a new identity, which is really the identity that we were supposed to have in the image of God in the first place. Jacob gets a new identity, which becomes the name of the whole nation of people who descend from him, Israel. And Israel, that name, sounds something like wrestling. So it says, God says to him, you'll be called Israel because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. And if you look at the history of the Israelites and the Jewish people, you can say that that is true of them. Um, and it's true in a different way than it is true about Christians, but I think that Christians also, in a, especially in other parts of the world, um, also have a history of wrestling with God and with humans, and also with the powers. So Jacob limped for the rest of his life, and all God's people struggle and limp. We all have something that we that got wounded, or that we had to give up. The limp is a sign that in this broken world, God has been present. It's not because God is a mean God, or a vindictive God, or a bad God. It's because we just get hurt when we try to straddle two worlds at the same time. Even Jesus perfect Jesus got wounded, and he still bears his wounds in heaven. The Bible says it. He still has the wounds visible. So we're preparing for communion, and we, I, I feel like there's, I said earlier today, this church has kind of been in crisis mode for the last couple of years, and we're not so much now, but I think now we as individuals are in crisis mode. There's a, so many people in here who are going through so much stuff. And some of it is stuff that has to do with our past, and some of it is stuff that other people have done to us more recently or that we're just finding out about. And it's hard. I don't know what the specific answer is to that. I don't know how God is going to answer that prayer. But I do know... We don't get out of here without wounds. And it's okay to wrestle with God. 
and to not let him go until he, he tells you who you are. So, and the only way we can do that is by focusing on him. So as we prepare for communion, I invite you to remember the ways that you have been wounded, the ways that you have wounded others, and confess both those things to God. Offer up to God the things that are still holding you back to this world. And as we receive the bread and the cup together, receive your true identity in Christ. He loves you. He's not going to let you go either. And he wants us to unite to him together. Part of our identity is as his people together in community. We are the body of Christ, and we take the bread and we recognize his body. What we're doing is recognizing each other, that we belong to each other. And so whatever each of us is going through individually, we're still in this together, care for each other, have compassion for each other. Let's pray. Lord God, it would be really nice if we didn't have to wrestle with you, but since life is like it is, thank you that um, it's not too much to do that. Thank you that we can wrestle with you, that we can say the hard things to you. Thank you that you don't intend for us to stay in stuck places. You love us and you want us to draw close to you so that we can move forward in our new Christ-given identity. We thank you for the sacrifice that you made for us, that you got wounded for our sakes too by this broken world. We pray that as we take communion today, we'll remember you and that um, you will help us to live your life, your kingdom's life in this world. In Jesus' name, amen.